It is good to see you this morning. I would invite you to take a Bible with me and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, the first chapter. In just a moment, we're going to read together verses 3 through 14. But as you turn there, let me tell you just a little bit about the next few weeks as we will be in Ephesians for the next seven weeks. The lectionary takes us through this great epistle uh, for the next several weeks. And it just so happens um, that if the timing is right, um, that should be the number of Sundays that we are still here in the Brant Center. Um, And so we will be here and hopefully in eight weeks from now, uh, be back in the sanctuary over on the College Church campus. Um, If you paid attention to social media or you found a way to sneak into the building over there, you may have noticed that the carpet, uh, a lot of it was laid this week. There's still much to come, but seats should be uh, arriving kind of the middle of this week. We're kind of right on time if all the tech pieces fall into place. Uh, Pastor Todd and Rich and others are doing such a great job. Um, But we will be hopefully here seven more Sundays counting today. Um, But we will be looking together at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is kind of an interesting letter for a a number of reasons. Um, Ephesians has six chapters, and it falls really neatly into two pieces. Chapters one through three, I would say, basically do this. They tell us the story that we confess together as those who follow Jesus. And then chapters four, five, and six say, so that's our story, big deal. What do we do with that? How does that change our lives? In fact, if you have a Bible with you, you might look at chapter four. The very first word in chapter four is this, therefore. And so we get three chapters of this is our story, and therefore now this is how we live. And so what's going to happen is this morning and the next two Sundays, the lectionary is going to lead us through those first three chapters to tell us what is our story, and then we get four weeks to talk about so what. Um, What does that do for us? Some other interesting things about Ephesians, if you have the Common English Bible with you this morning, you might notice there's actually a footnote. Um, The first couple of verses of Ephesians open kind of in typical kind of Pauline way to the church in Ephesus, but there's a footnote there. If you go down to the footnote, it says, in our oldest manuscripts, which means probably the three manuscripts of Ephesians that are most reliable to us and kind of the oldest three manuscripts that we have of Ephesians actually don't include this welcome. That this address to Ephesians was likely added quite later in, um, in the early church. And it may be that this letter was kind of floating around the church of Ephesus, or it may be that it was addressed to Ephesus and was hanging out in that church, um, but Paul forgot to address it. Um, but history tells us it kind of comes from that location, that place. But more than that, what is strange about this letter is that In fact, some scholars kind of wrestle with and argue, is this really Paul writing to us or is this a student of Paul? Because what we get in Ephesus is not a typical letter. If you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been in 2 Corinthians and Paul will address very specific issues going on in the church in Corinth. In fact, as we talked about, the church in Corinth drove him crazy. And he would say, you've done this wrong. You're not eating the Lord's Supper the right way. You are, you know, you're um, having arguments with each other. He would address specific circumstances and situations. Ephesians doesn't do that. Like I said, it basically is almost like an overarching, here's our story, and now here's what you should do about it. And there aren't really specific situations in a particular church like Ephesus addressed. And so, if you're still with me this morning, it is likely that Ephesians may have been like a cover letter that began to be connected to the writings of Paul 
that try to summarize all that Paul is trying to say in these various letters that he has written to the church. So it's powerful and interesting. But again, it will tell us our story and then tell us what we should do about that. And so we'll begin to tell that story this morning. So if you have your Bible open, Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3. And I invite you, if you're with us this morning in, in person, if you're able to stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. This was what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So Paul, in very compressed ways, begins to tell us the story that is central not only to his own life, but to the life of all of those that he has brought into this thing called the church. This text itself is so compact and so rich. If you are with us on a regular basis and you bring your Bible and you make notes in it, both of you here today may have notice that this text actually showed up a few months ago in the lectionary on the first Sunday of January. It's shown up twice this season because there's so much there that, that encapsulates, that embodies the, the beauty, the richness of this particular story. If we were to think about what is the story that shapes Paul's understanding of the world, my guess is it would go something like this. That what Paul sees in the scripture of his people, the Hebrew scripture, is it opens with the story that God has created all things and he celebrates this God who is over all and is the creator of all things. But God has created all things and those things are good. Then when God looks at the creation, he says, this is not just good, but this is very good. But as you probably know, part of that story is that this good creation that he has made, and in particular, the humans that he has created to be reflections of who he is, imagers of God, whom he has given free will both to love and to reject him, that humankind has rejected those purposes. And now the story is rooted in this idea that this very good creation has entered into fallenness and brokenness. And, and that fallenness and brokenness is not just individual. It's not just we as individuals who have fallen into that brokenness, but that brokenness, that sin, has entered into the very systems and structures that are a part of our reality. And so we could think 
about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we see this very personally. We see Adam and Eve choose to partake of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat of. We see Cain, sin crouching at Cain's door, and Cain enacting violence against his brother Abel. But we also see the way, like in the Noah story, that it's not just individuals anymore, but it's the whole earth seems to be corrupt and filled with violence. And we see it not only there, but we see it later in the Tower of Babel story, that the sinfulness is not just individual brokenness, but it is this kind of corporate, systemic desire to live life apart from God's purposes and God's goodness. And because of that, it leads to all sorts of chaos, all sorts of tohu and bohu, um, all sorts of sinfulness and brokenness. That's the very basic part of the way Paul sees and understands the world. So what's God going to do? Well, in the text today, the way Paul tells the story, there are three key words. So if you have your Bible with you, I would love for you to circle three key words in the text this morning. The first of those key words uh, is found in verse 5. God destined us to be his, and then circle this word, to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. God destined us to be adopted children through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, circle this word, we have been ransomed through his son's blood. And then the third word is found a couple of places, but first in verse 11, we have also received an inheritance in Christ. So for Paul, we have this story of a world that is good, that, that ought to live into God's loving, fruitful, blessed purposes, but has fallen into all of this kind of chaos. So what is God going to do? Well, adoption. God in his rich, steadfast love and mercy, refuses to let sin and brokenness and death get the final word. And so God adopts. Some of you in this room are children who were adopted. Parents who decided to take you in to make you part of their family. Um, my... Uh, my wife is gone, and Sophie is with her um, in Missouri visiting family. Uh, but Noah and Carrie are gone also today. They're in San Diego uh, leading this big event down at a university out on the beach that we're not allowed to talk about now. They're at Point Loma um, this weekend as part of a youth event. But Noah and Carrie, in their steadfast love and mercy and their desire to not have children yet, adopted two dogs, right? And so this week, I'm not only, Joan and I are not only running a bachelor pad, we are running a dog farm. Um, so we have our dog and their two dogs, and it's chaos at our house right now. Um, lots of dogs, way more dogs than we wanted. But, but some of you have brought pets in. Adoption is kind of interesting in the Old Testament, for it's not just about a family taking on a child, but oftentimes in the Old Testament context, you would have people who have property and inheritance who, like in the case of Abraham and Sarah, perhaps were not able to have children, don't have somebody who will be an heir to this inheritance, to this property, to this land. For most wealth came through inheritance and shared family lineage. And so what would you do? You would choose someone, perhaps a young person, but oftentimes an adult person, and say, we have no heir. We would like to adopt you. 
And an adoption means not only do you get a new name and do you get a new family, but it means this inheritance is now yours. And you go through the ceremony where you say, will you be our child? And they say, yes, I'll be your child. And this person says, I will be your parent. And this covenant is made. And so it's in that kind of language that Paul understands God who is rich in steadfast love and mercy, who does not want the world to fall into this brokenness, looks and chooses, and here's part of the greatness of the story, chooses a people, Abram and Sarai, who cannot have children to be the heirs of his inheritance. And they even get a new name out of it, a new identity. They are now the children of Yahweh. And he bestows on Abram, Abraham and Sarah now, he bestows on them and all of their heirs this, this promise, this covenant that they have made. And Paul understands himself as somebody who's linked to that lineage biologically and culturally and historically. This story of Abraham and Abraham's adoption is his. And he's lived much of his life understanding himself as part of that unique people that God has chosen and selected to be representatives of him in the world, to be adopted. But not just adopted, part of the coolness of the story is that they were ransomed. So I don't know if you've, we've talked about this before, but there's this wonderful story in the book of, let's say, Exodus, about a people who are the inheritors or the adopted ones of of Abram and Sarah, but what happens, they end up in captivity, and this is very important. They end up in captivity in this systemic brokenness that oppresses them. But God redeems them, goes in, if you will, buys Pharaoh off through all these plagues, redeems them, brings them out, ransoms them out of their oppression because you don't want your children who are going to inherit all things to dwell in that brokenness. So you bring them out, you ransom them, and they are brought out of that brokenness. It's powerful the way in which that language of ransom, that language of redemption, that language of salvation is so formative in Israel's imagination and memory because it's not only in Egypt, but later on in their history where they find themselves in exile again in Babylon. Part of the prophetic hope is that this God who has adopted and chosen us will not leave us here and let us die, but that God who moved in Egypt will move again and keep bringing us out of these systemic and personal forms of brokenness. You with me? And not only then are they ransomed, but then they have an inheritance. This is why, even to this day, this issue of land is so important in the imagination of the Hebrew scriptures. Because they are redeemed out, but there is a place they are going, a land that has been promised, and when they dwell in that land, God then will dwell with them. And there will be this unique life that they live and embody, a life that's connected to the life God intended before we got into the sin and brokenness. And there, in that dwelling of the land, there will be shalom, there will be peace, there will things will be the way they were supposed to be. And so what drives God's people and what drives Paul's imagination is from the very moment he could walk and talk, he had been surrounded by a story that said, you are a part of this people. You have been adopted by the God who created all things. You have been redeemed out of brokenness and oppression. But someday we will get into that land. And in Paul's case, the story kind of went like this. If we will be holy enough and good enough, we will finally get into that land. 
And we, when we get into that land, Israel will be restored and God's people be, will be renewed and, and the fabric of all things will be refreshed and finished. That story was so deep within Paul's own life that he viewed everybody outside of that story as people who, who didn't know anything. We're just part of the broken, chaotic mess. But he even saw people like him who were raised in that story who somehow misrepresented it or saw the story in different ways or began to argue there's a different story actually than that story, especially if they're part of that adopted people. Paul got really angry and began to oppress even those who somehow didn't seem to fit in within that story. But then, and this is where Ephesians comes in, as you know Paul's story, he encounters the resurrected Christ. And all of a sudden, and I'm not sure that it's all of a sudden, my guess is it's kind of all of a sudden and then over a long period of time. All of a sudden, Paul realizes, oh, wait a minute, brain matter on the wall. Let me rethink that story only now through the life of Jesus. And this is so important for those of you who are interested in following Jesus. When we get to the New Testament, all of the gospel writers tell the life of of Jesus in a way that in so many forms retells the story that I just told you. Roots the story of Jesus in that story of adoption and ransom and inheritance. So Paul, if you have your text still open, can say, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. So the word that shows up over and over in these 11 verses is this, in Christ, in Christ, oh, and in Christ, because what Paul can't believe is this whole story got retold, theologians use the word recapitulated, re-embodied, this whole story gets recapitulated in the life of Jesus. So now Paul tells the story this way, oh, wait a minute. This story of God choosing Abraham and Sarah and adopting this people, oh, that's a good story. Do you want to know a better version of that story? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Chose not only to adopt us, but to become like us. Taking on all that is flesh and all that is broken and all that is weak and all that is fragile, all that is beautiful and good too. God took it all on, chose us by becoming like us. That's why this text is really not, this text makes Wesleyans nervous. This is just a side note. Because this text uses a lot of language like chosen, elected, right? And part of that's because the old story is, yeah, God chose like Abraham and Sarah. And Paul sees that as a very exclusive story in which his people linked to the lineage of Abraham and Sarah have been chosen. But come back next week 
Paul's mind again, blown. Because what has God done? God has incarnated God's self into humankind. And therefore now everybody's been chosen because God embraced fleshliness and has adopted us, called us his own, become one of us in that sense. And so Paul can now say to smelly Gentiles who are not part of that original story, you're part of the story. Because God in his mercy has made us his daughters and sons. And that story of Exodus from Egypt and bringing that remnant out of Babylon, that's a great story. But now listen to the way Paul tells it. Verse 7, we have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace. So for Paul, that's a great story, but it's just really the prototype, the beginning of this powerful story about a redemption, or a ransom. And here we, honestly, we almost spend every Sunday talking about this. Not because it's so complex, although it is kind of complex, but more because it's just so rich and full, this idea that Christ has become like us and taken on all of our weakness and our shame and our sinfulness, has taken all of that upon God's self and on the cross has confronted all of that and was unwilling to respond to our brokenness in the ways that we were responding to him. And in that moment overcame the brokenness, not only of our own individual sin, but of the corporate sinfulness that is crucifying him on the cross. And so Paul is saying, listen, whatever it is that was binding us and bound us, we have been set free from it. For Christ came and adopted us and set us free. And again, there's so much that we could talk about there, and, and uh, we'll talk about it pretty much every week. For he set us free. So sin does not get the last word. Darkness does not get the last word. Evil does not get the last word. Death does not get the last word. Have you heard that before? Why? Because he has set us free, ransomed us, redeemed us, saved us from that brokenness. And now, for Paul, we have an inheritance in Christ. Now hang on here. Go back with me. Verse 10. Because this is what God planned for the climax of all times. To bring all things together in Christ. The things in heaven along with the things of earth. You should underline that text. Because if I were asked you, if I were to ask you, those of you especially who've been around church for a while, what is the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus? The right answer, and it is the right answer, the answer is heaven. But if you've been around for a little while now, you know, whenever we get that answer, there's a part of me that goes, yeah. Because oftentimes, when we say heaven, what we imagine is our inheritance then is to kind of get out of here. But notice what Paul's language is. It's a language of heaven, 
But the language is heaven as that place where God reigns, where all things are set right. Since we're on a roll here, in the Old Testament, my guess is Paul imagined that as a kind of location within the temple, this place where heaven and earth are are mixed together. That's why you have to purify yourself before you get in there, because it's the place where things are made right. But now, again, the temple veil has been torn. That place where heaven and earth are connected is now broken out into all creation. And so Paul, Paul will no longer say, do you know what our inheritance is? A piece of dirt in the Middle East? No. I mean, that's nice. But Paul will say, you know what your inheritance is? You get out of here when you die? No. Paul will say, you know what your inheritance is? is the whole creation. Awesome. The whole creation. And what he's saying is so powerful. This story is about all of heaven and all the things of earth being brought together, embraced in the arms of Christ Jesus, reunited the way they were supposed to be. And so the story that has captured him is Christ has entered into our situation, adopted us, taken on flesh in order to deliver us from the brokenness of both our individual but also our corporate sins, but to lead us into this inheritance, which in the language I love to use from Paul is new creation. New creation. All things set right. And Paul says, if you want to, and we'll get into this more in the next few weeks, if you want to know what that looks like, it looks like the Spirit of God indwelling a people as a down payment, a a foretaste, a hint of what that inheritance is. In other words, you don't have to wait till the new creation to start spending on the inheritance. You get to start spending the inheritance now. (laughs) You get to start living into this inheritance now. The spirit is the down payment. Oh, if you're with me, this is such a good story. And it's Paul's theological story. By the way, it's kind of fascinating. Some scholars will say it's fascinating how Paul is kind of telling a Trinitarian story. God, the creator, has adopted. It is Christ that has set us free from the bondage of sin, but it is now the spirit that leads us into this new creation. But some other parts of the story are really important. First of all, this is, this is a story that is not just Paul's, but it is a story for everyone. If you have Ephesians still open, next week the lectionary makes us skip to verse 11. But if you have it open, look at the beginning of chapter 2. For the story that Paul is telling that is in many ways his own story, now this is what he'll say. At one time, you, y'all, And that's not you like you, Diane. That's y'all like y'all, y'all. All All y'all. That's in the Greek. At one time, all y'all were like dead persons because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. Y'all used to act like most people in our world do. You follow the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, y'all were like those persons. All of y'all 
used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that y'all were children headed for punishment, just like everybody else. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought all of us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things we did wrong. He did this because of his great love that he has for y'all, for us. For y'all are saved by God's grace and God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this for you, but he did this also to show your kids and your grandkids to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. Y'all are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It is not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Oh, oh, oh. If we were to have an old-fashioned testimony service this morning, which we are not going to do, but if we were, if you were raised in the church going to testimony services, they were always fun, right? Because, well, somebody was already, was always going to tell a story they shouldn't tell, but, but if you grew up going to testimony services, what was fascinating about them was they were all the same, but different. So if we were to pass the microphone around this morning, and some of you for whom Paul's story that he is telling in Ephesians 1 is your story now too, your story would be unique, but it would be the same. It would be a story that went like this. I had given myself over to that which was enslaving me deeper and deeper into brokenness. But God, who is rich in mercy, found me, adopted me, embraced me in my messiness as child, and didn't just sit there in the brokenness with me, but this is why we would sing this hymn at testimony services, but he brought me out of the miry clay Ransom, they redeemed me out of that brokenness. And now has empowered me with his spirit to live into and not just wait for that new creation, but to embody and witness to generations to come that sin and death and evil and darkness does not have to have the last word. You see, for Paul, it is not just his people's story, and it's now not just his story, it's y'all's story. And let me say here, it may not be your story today, yet. But as I love to remind you, and I remind my students always, you don't get out of having a story 
If this doesn't sound like a true and good and beautiful story to you, it's probably because you've embraced some other kind of story. I, I met a man this week, and as we got to talking with each other, it was clear that his story, I would summarize it this way, we got here accidentally, and it will all end accidentally. And the, in the middle of it, he's trying to make as much and do as much as he can before the clock runs out. I, I tried to at least get him to be honest about what a sad story that is. We could talk about all of the available options of stories, but Paul begins to realize all of those outside of the story, it is not that they don't have a story, it's that they're embracing a story different than this one that has transformed Paul and is transforming the church. And in the middle of it, then, Paul has a prayer for us. And the prayer is simply this. This is verse, or chapter 1, verse 17. I pray, Paul says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. Paul tells the story, and then he celebrates in chapter 2 that this isn't just his story, but all of these folks who've embraced the story with him. But in the middle, he prays that we would be able to discern and see our lives in this story. And here's why this is important. And I'll land this plane. The reason why that prayer for discernment is important is because sometimes we think the story that's counter to the story that Paul is telling is just a secular story like this gentleman I met this week that was a very secular story. A story really without God in it. That story is present a lot in our world today. But in Paul's world, it was interesting, people who told what we would call today secular stories actually told those stories with all sorts of gods in them. They weren't just secular stories, they were religious stories. And Paul's prayer for them, and I think Paul's prayer for us would be not that we would learn to either be religious or secular, but even when we are religious, that we would discern the truthfulness of the story Paul is telling about adoption and ransom and inheritance. Because the danger is we are, it is easy for us to use God words and Jesus language and even spirit talk By the way, that's what I was trying to do last week. Is to not get us to tell the wrong story using God language. For, for many of us here, we use God words, but we're still telling a story similar to Paul's first story, which is if we will just work hard enough, God will love us. And what God really wants is just for us to be kind of wealthy and healthy. I didn't have time this morning. The other text for today from the Old Testament is 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's the story where David takes the ark into Jerusalem and he, 
he's really in a hurry for the ark to get there. And so he builds a cart and puts the ark on it. It's a terrible story. And as they're breaking the speed limit in order to get the ark to Jerusalem, the oxen stumble and Uzzah reaches out to make sure the ark doesn't fall and Uzzah drops dead. And David goes, oops, and leaves the ark there. Hey, Obed-Edom's house is next door. Let's leave the ark there. And so Obed-Edom, he has the ark in his garage. He had an RV garage. Um, and there's all of this blessing that's happening to the house of Obed-Edom. And so David decides, well, we've got to get that ark here. And so he does it right this time. They walk at six paces and then they do a sacrifice. And it takes forever, but the ark finally gets there. Every time I read that story, I'm convicted because when I travel, I am very destination-oriented. I just want to get there. I just want to get there. GPS hasn't helped me because when you put an address in and it says, you will be there at 1036, something in my mind says, oh, yeah, I'll be there at 1022. <laughs> right? No one's going to the bathroom. No one's having anything. <laughs> my wife kind of drives me crazy in this way. And the feeling's mutual. Um, she enjoys the journey. She wants to stop at every world's largest ball of twine along the way, test out every homemade ice cream. That story reminds us, and when I hear Paul's story, I want to say to God, could you hurry up and get to the new creation? And one of the ways Paul is shaped in the story is to say, God is rich in steadfast love and mercy, but also rich in patience. He doesn't want anybody to miss out on this story. But God is one who is delighting in the journey of adoption and ransom and indwelling inheritance as we journey together in the new creation. This week, as I thought about this text, I was reminded of one of my favorite hymns. Um, I sing it often at memorial services in particular. Fanny Crosby wrote a great old hymn. Many of you know the words. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Listen to these words. Oh, what a foretaste of our inheritance. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Air. Somebody who's been adopted. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of his spirit. Washed, ransomed in his blood. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I am my savior and am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting patiently with David. <laughs> Watching and waiting, looking above. But in the meantime, filled with this goodness, lost in his love. And when we get to the chorus, this is always my favorite part. This is my story. This is my song. Oh, Fanny had to be reading this text. This is Paul's story. A story of blessed assurance that Jesus is ours, that we have been adopted and ransomed. And we are a foretaste of glory divine. I got to close. 
But this morning, you may be with us online, you may be present in this room, you may be listening to this sermon on a podcast 16 years from now. And that story is not yours. Your story is still a story of brokenness and oppression and having given yourself over to things or being captured by things that have brought oppression and shame, sin, darkness. <laughs> it is not an uncommon story. It is the world's story. But here is Christ's story. You are his. He has entered into flesh to redeem you from that brokenness, to ransom you out, and to give you a spirit that will be a foretaste of the redeemed new creation where God is at home and where we don't hurt or destroy and where God's love reigns over all. This morning, I, I want to invite you into that. And I, here's the deal. I feel like at some level, you have to respond to that, right? Like you have to, it's a part of you. And, and you can sit there and respond to it. But this morning, if you're online, maybe the way to respond is to take that step of, of writing into the chat line, this is my story. <laughs> this is my song. Blessed assurance, I want that story. <laughs> oh God, help me live into that story. If you're in this room today, we have just a couple of small altars. This may be a way to respond, just simply to move forward and say, I want that story. I, I need that story to bring life and newness to me. Or if you're listening sometime in the future, maybe this is that moment to get connected with somebody you know who's living that story who can help you embrace all that God wants you to do and all that God wants you to be. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Just one more verse. Come if you would like this morning. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. 
This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. If you'd say with Paul this morning and with Fanny Crosby and with the saints through the ages, this is your story. As we sing that chorus just one more time, would you lift your hand up? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Almighty God, who in your great mercy refuses to let the world go its own way, You have made us your children. Oh, you do not want to see us continue to live in oppression and brokenness. So you will do all that is necessary, even the cross itself, to redeem us out of the debts and brokenness of sin. Fill us with your spirit today. We're not waiting to live into the inheritance of the new creation. You gave us a down payment. And so may we learn to live and laugh and love and delight in the ways that you are making all things, including us, new. God, I pray for some who are here today, um, and I pray with Paul that you would give them discernment. For many of us live a false story. It just happens to have a lot of God language in it. And we don't see the ways that it is not the story Jesus embodied and the story Paul lived. It's another kind of story told in the wrong kind of language and embodied in the wrong kind of life. So set us free. I pray for some who are online today or present or who will hear this someday in the future who are in situations that are messy out of their own making or are in situations that are messy because of the sinfulness of others and just the broken, oppressive, evil principalities and powers that shape our lives. Set us free, we pray, and make us a people who can sing perfect submission, all is at rest. 
make that our story today. For it's in the name of the story's author, who is its beginning and its end, Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected one, in his name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Stand with me.